Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Marcus Meets, a show that lives on the internet at marcusbronzy.com slash meets. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y dot com slash meets. Well, this episode is part two of a two-parter with Dev. So we ended part one with Dev talking to us about online dating and Dev answering the question, what kind of curveballs in the form of unsavory people has tinder thrown at you mate bigots I went out, seriously yeah i went out with some girl who had like she first thing well not the first thing but she said it in the first two minutes that we'd gone along to watch a performance that featured two guys as the lead uh, romeo and juliet i shouldn't have said that because it's narrowed it down now the girl's gonna know who it is if she ever hears this um but romeo and juliet just happened to be two guys right and she was like oh god i don't know how i feel about that i'm like huh so, yeah, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Like two, two guys. I don't. Uh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Like, nah, not really. You know, we are in London. It is. It isn't. You know, nineteen ten. It's not really that weird at all. Uh, she said, I don't, "I don't even know how my church group would feel about that." I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, man. So I don't know. I mean, maybe because I have like really good. I've like really good friends who are gay. I have people in my family who are gay. Maybe I, I feel a bit. You know, I take it quite personal. But also, the one thing I just don't get, I just don't understand, right, is everybody is so quick to have a, I've had it so bad story, right? Everyone has a, oh, woe is me, my childhood was like this. Whether you're from money or not, everyone's got that whole, either you weren't paid enough attention or you were smothered with too much attention and it's made you a weirdo and you struggle to socialise, whatever. Everyone's got a fucking story. And... You know, so have I. I'm somebody who struggled very much with identity when I was growing up. I'm a mixed race person. I have my dad who's black and from Jamaica. I have my mum who's Irish and who's white. I didn't grow up knowing my dad. So I had this whole part of my supposed culture that I didn't know about. Uh, so I struggled with, okay, am I, am I, do I still get to be black because I don't know about like dancehall and I don't eat jerk chicken when I'm at home and shit. Like, do I, do I still get to be black or because, you know, people call me a fucking nigger and shit when I go outside. So do I still get to be part of that or, but then I have, uh, 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 black friends that say to me things like, oh, are you more white? Are you more black kind of thing? Like weird shit like that. So I had my own struggles with my identity growing up and that was 
in a society that accepts most of the fucking hang-ups that I have about myself and, you know, there's a society that's completely at ease with shit like that. So imagine... I, I was gay, for example. That means I would have had all that same struggle with added shit on top in a society that rejects who I am. On top of that, for me to then turn around and say to somebody, knowing what I've been through, I don't agree with your life. How stupid is that? Like, that's 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 so hard for me to comprehend that you think how somebody lives affects you to the point where you have to say something I I disagree with that so what so what it doesn't affect your life at all and no matter how much you hate it right and this might come as a surprise to any bigots or people who are uncomfortable with it right who might be listening to this guess what no matter how much you hate it no matter how many bible verses you quote or whatever People are going to have our sex. It's going to happen. They're doing it right now. Maybe even listening to this podcast. Our sex is going to happen, whether you like it or not. And you know what? It doesn't think about this. Think about how many people have an our sex right now. Do you feel it affecting you? It's not. It's mm-hmm. not it's not driving up fucking tax rates or anything like that. It's not it's not ruining your drive to work or whatever. It's not affecting you in the least. So that's why people like Unless that. it's happening to you during your drive to work, it could affect your driving. If someone is attempting <laughs> to have our sex in the car in front of you, oh, all right, I can see how... <laughs> but other than that, I don't see why it's a problem. So to be out with this girl and she was saying this shit, oh, I, oh, I don't know how my church group would feel about that and all that weird shit. Like, so you live in London, man. You live in London in a very multicultural, very accepting city, okay, where most people just don't give a shit about stuff like that. I was just, I don't know, I thought it was really weird. But I had to do a whole date with her, knowing that I weren't going to go out of her again. But this, 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 this is, this is horrible. At the end of it, she was like, so, uh, you know, do you, do you want to go out again, sort of thing? I looked her square in the face, Marcus. I looked her right in the eyes and I went, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right in her face I was like yeah definitely and then I did the only honourable thing which is just to ignore her uh, whenever she sent me a text and never text her back until she eventually just stopped so yeah wow what a way to end it yeah such a weirdo man I suppose that's what you get from the online world mate um yeah I'm, I'm all about meeting people in person now that's it from now on so yeah. if someone sees you and doesn't mistake you for yeah. a Carla then it's on I dabbled I mean I'll take I don't know if a Carla has a missus or whatever but I would gladly scoop up any potential Carla groupies I presume he gets a lot of attention send them send them my way I, I presume um, he gets a lot of attention he's intel- He's clever Yeah, he's not ugly I think he might have a missus though he seems like really? the kind of guy who'd be like, quite settled down and stuff yeah it's quite mature Okay. Um, how was the BAFTA stuff that you did recently? Oh, the uh, so I, I gave out an award for it was a children's gaming BAFTA. So um, I should say children. I say should say young people. So there was, I believe, an eleven to fourteen category and a fourteen to eighteen category. I've probably fucked that all up. Maybe it was completely different. But um, the idea that there are these. I don't want to sound patronising, but they are they are kids, man. You know, some of them like 14, 15 years old. They're these kids who have been designing computer games and coming up with concepts for them. And some of them have gone so far to code and make their own games. And some of them won awards just for the concept of a game. Um, like there was one guy who come up with a VR. He come up with this VR game where you you're a, you're a blind woman, 
and how that would work in VR, I don't know, but it's it, it's based on sounds. For example, there was one game that was based on cuddling. Like this is really weird, out there, amazing ideas. And the winners of these awards, the one of, as part of the prize is that they got to have their game developed by a company and made into a real app. So if you think about that just for a second, how amazing that is, that there's these kids, like 14, 15, 16 years old, who are designing computer games. They're learning about coding. And it's just, to me, the trip was seeing some of these on stage and the way that they were talking, you'd think that they were in their 40s and had an office with you know 15 people under them or something like that. And I was just sat there thinking, this is so... It's it's very uh what's the word uh, I want to use um uh very humbling for me that there's this fourteen year old who's already at fourteen <laughs> achieved more than I ever will is already more focused and more switched on than I've ever been able to achieve and I remember there was one point during the uh, uh, during the event it was like handing out these awards and I was just sort of sat there and I was just, just like oh, I've wasted my life. <laughs> 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 like I've done enough. <laughs> These kids are absolutely smashing it. But um, yeah, it was good, man. It was a good experience. Yeah, man. And like, obviously, you're no strangers to the TV game. Like, well before your radio career, like you were doing uh, Smile. Yeah, right, they, on they almost BBC. they almost arrived at the same time though. Because look, just give like a really quick timeline. Yeah, I my mum took me to this theater. It used to be called the Anna Shear Theater. I can't remember what they've called it now. Anna Shear is probably one of the most amazing and unknown human beings the world will ever know. Anna Shear was this um, woman who, I, I think it was in the 60s or the 70s, had created this local theatre for local kids to come to and, you know, be in plays and act and learn about improvising. It's this amazing place. And over the years, developed this really solid reputation for creating these uh, uh, amazing actors. Like, uh there's plenty of uh, people I, I'm going to be so shit with names now but honestly if you look her up and you look up the kind of people who trained under uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, latest names you might know Zowie Ashton for example really successful British actress um, she trained at Anna Shear, probably one of the last people that Anna Shear trained directly but what was so different about this theatre is it wasn't a stage school so it's very it was a people's theatre. You got very real people who came to it. And you'd also have people from all different walks of life. You'd have posh kids and estate kids and stuff and, you know, cockney kids or whatever. And, you know, like people who weren't from the country and just this crazy place you could go. And I remember when I first went, I, I hated it. I was dragged kicking and screaming by my mum to this place when I was about 11 years old and I didn't want to go there. And... You know, after a while, I realised this is this is a really amazing place. I go to normal school, and then on a Friday, I would go to these classes, and probably only about an hour or two hours long. And you'd learn about how to think on the spot and improvise, and we'd learn songs, and you'd uh, you'd be in plays. And they also had a once you moved up from the basic group, there was a group called the Young Professionals, and once you were in that group, you were on their they'd have a, a casting agency upstairs and you were able, you were eligible for auditions and stuff. So really early on, I went up for auditions and I was in, I did something for the Royal Shakespeare Company when I was about 11 or 12. I did a, a, a play for them. Oh, really embarrassing story about that. I, I shit myself when I, I did, 
um, when I did that play. I don't mean I, I don't mean metaphorically. I mean I actually shit my pants when I did uh, that play. But it's because so I was about I was about eleven or twelve years old, and I'd got this part in this, this Royal Shakespeare play called uh, not a Shakespeare play, sorry, put on by the Royal Shakespeare Company called The White Devil. And everybody else in the play was an adult. Not just an adult, but a very thespy, serious actor. Every single one of them had years and years of experience in the theatre and in very serious, gritty dramas. Every single one of them. And then me. So it's the first thing of this, it's the first thing of this kind that I'd ever done before. I'd never done any kind of theatre, just from what I'd done at Anna Shea or whatever. And uh, I had a chaperone because. So what what you do if you're a, if you're a kid and you work in TV or whatever you have to have somebody whose job is to make sure that you're okay because you're a kid right around all these adults. So I remember my chaperone after it was about a three month run and after a couple of weeks, uh, after after a couple of weeks of doing the the performance and doing the run, I remember there was one time in between where I was supposed to be on stage and there were these huge gaps. I probably only had about eight lines in the entire play. And there were these huge gaps in between when I was on. So maybe I was on a bit in the first act. And maybe there was a whole 25 minutes where I didn't do anything. So during one of these 25 minute gaps, I said, look, I need, I need to go to the toilet. I need to go for a piss. So she'd taken me out to where the toilet was. She like stood outside and I went in. And she just before I went, she went, hurry up. You need to be back really quickly. So I like, all right, okay, so I've got, to, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to piss as quickly as I can. So in my 11-year-old brain, I thought, what I'll do is I'll push the piss out really hard and it'll just come out quicker, surely, right? So that's what I did. I went and stood at the urinal and I pushed as hard as I could for this piss to come out. And Marcus, I've never known anything like this. My lower intestine, the valve, whatever it is, completely gave way, just... Could, that there was there was no, no grip, nothing completely, and I emptied my bowels into my pants to the point where I was able to stand there for a full. I'd say I was shitting myself for about thirty seconds, a full on. I don't want to gross anybody out if you're eating or whatever, but it was a proper like kind of. And I had enough time to be like, oh my fucking god, I'm shitting myself. Oh my god, why is this happening? Oh my god, I can't believe this. Still pissing, I can't do anything because I'm also pissing at the same time. Just like, oh my fucking god, what am I going to do? Just feeling like my fucking pants <laughs> filling up with all of this shit. I was like, oh, oh what am I going to do? I've got to be back in a minute. Like, what am I going to do? So... Ran into one of the cubicles, like tore off my underwear. That's gone. Okay, forget about it. You're not gonna. Be, or maybe I tried to clean it up and put them back on. Maybe that was the problem. I think I did. Maybe I tried to clean them in the sink and try and like empty them into the toilet. Tried to clean them off and put them back on. Right, the whole time thinking any minute now they're gonna need me back on stage. Right, so. I tried to scrub it in the sink, tried to use some of the soap or whatever, like half crying as like, oh, I think I'm going to lose my job. Like what are they going to think? I've shit myself. Well, I have shit myself. Uh, so scrubbing it, scrubbing it, scrubbing it, put the pants back on, right? <laughs> then put the outfit that they'd given me, which were just these like silk trousers and some like this, this plastic armor that they had. I was a prince, uh, son of this like great general or whatever, from what I remember in the play. And I remember I was sort of walking back out. She was like, oh, you took your time, didn't you? Like, yeah. <laughs> Came back to sit side of stage. 
I don't know, fucking 15 minutes. Before, and it wasn't even a rush. So I'd shit myself for no reason. So I'm now sitting there, strewing in my own filth, absolutely mortified, right? I need to go out on stage in a minute to a packed audience and deliver these very difficult lines in, in not just in front of the audience, but in front of these serious, very intimidating actors who were lovely to me, by the way. But imagine that as an 11-year-old, being in that sort of uh, situation. Maybe I was a little bit older. Maybe it was about 12 or 13, because I remember my mum driving me there from secondary school. You were about 12 or 13. 11, 12, yeah, 11, 12. Definitely wasn't older than 12, right? Can you imagine that? And all I could think of was, (laughs) everyone can smell that I've shit myself. And to make matters even worse, there was a point in the play where somebody had to pick me up and throw me over his shoulder. So my shitty ass is level with this guy's nose. And I'm convinced this guy picked me up and he was running with me, holding his breath. (laughs) This poor guy had to try and cover my tracks because it's the same evening and this has happened, right? So maybe 20 minutes before this guy's due to pick me up, I've shit my pants really badly as well. Made an attempt to clean it up, but regardless of... What I do is still going to smell like shit, right? So to try and cover my tracks, this guy picks me up. And as we get to the, we get off stage and stuff and he puts me back down again. I turn to him and I go, oh, these clothes have given me fucking smell of shit. <laughs> and to this day, this is what, this is what I don't care about. I don't care that I shit myself. All right. I actually don't care. It was a fucking genuine mistake. She said, my chaperone said, look, you've only got a couple of minutes. I tried to squeeze out the piss too much. But most of us are going to learn at some point in our lives, your body doesn't work like that. (laughs) To me, it just happened minutes before I was supposed to go out to a packed audience, all right? But here's what I am embarrassed about, that they thought I shit my pants because I was nervous, and I wasn't. I had this. I knew my lines. I knew what I was ready to go out and do. I thought that they, and imagine they definitely talked about me as well. They definitely, when I weren't around, they were like, hey, you know that little fucking dev kid? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking he shit himself. (laughs) I think he's so nervous, bless him. I think he's shit himself. Oh, shit. No. So, I remember the next day, uh, I asked my mum, I was like, yeah, I think I've started to uh, reach puberty. My armpits started to stink a little bit. Can you get me some deodorant? And she bought me some deodorant and I emptied that can of deodorant on those trousers (laughs) that they gave me. Oh, man, that was so humiliating. So anyway, I did did a bit of theatre when I was quite young. I did really small bit parts in telly nothing I think that ever like made it onto like I don't think anything made it onto television maybe like a ton of pilots and stuff like that and then I did a stint on pirate radio from about 14 to 17 just after I finished school I was approached by uh, a, a mate of mine Reggie Yates who does these like really cool documentaries now and it's like uh, been a really big personality and presenter in the UK for ages. At the time, he'd done stuff for Disney. He asked me to come along to an audition with him. We auditioned to do this kids' TV show, and a couple of weeks later, man, I was like on telly. I was just uh, it, was, it was really weird the way I fell into it, but it wasn't. If you think about it, considering what I just told you about going to this amazing theatre when I was growing up, this Anna Shear theatre, with this eccentric, crazy woman, Anna Shear. She really was, but she was amazing. 
Um, it's where I learn all my grounding. It's where I learn how to, you know, think of my feet and be comfortable talking to a room full of people. It's where I learn all the skills that enables me to do what I do now. It wasn't really accidental, if you think about it. Me doing telly and ended up doing radio, I was kind of prepped for it from quite an early age. You know, I was moving in that direction anyway. Yeah, yeah you just, it sounds like you didn't necessarily at the forefront of your consciousness mm. know that you were going mm. in that direction but you were doing all the groundwork you were laying all yeah. the bricks bad use of words <laughs> you were laying all the foundations I can't, even, I, I can't um, remember if I've, if I've told that story before man but it's so mortifying but that was the last time I shit myself though I think that's pretty good going no n- no nothing no wet farts nothing like that no the last time I shit myself was 12 years old I remember it so clearly so clearly Good on you. Good yeah, on you. I think that's pretty good going. So yeah, you got on the show with Reggie, um, Children's BBC. What what was that like though? Like doing Children's BBC back then? I mean, the whole thing was like a trip. It's 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 a long time ago for me to remember, but the bits that the bits that I do remember about it was just being completely overwhelmed by everything. I was just turned seventeen, so I'd not long finished school. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was I was a DJ at that point in that I was DJing at clubs. Not enough to make a living out of, but I was DJing at clubs. Um, I had a catering job on the side. Where I, used to, I used to do like Indian and Jewish weddings. And, oh, by the way, right, Indians keep their really beautiful, beautiful women. They keep them hidden somewhere, man. I don't know where they keep them, right? This is no disrespect to, like, your average Indian woman walking down the street, but I'm talking about, you know those ones you see in the Bollywood films with, like, they got, like, blue eyes or something and they just look like angels. Mm. I I don't know how you describe it. There's something, they look so beautiful. You will never in your fucking life see one of them just walking down your high street. You won't see them. They keep them fucking hidden, man. I don't know where... Well, they bring them out for the weddings and stuff, but they keep them hidden. You might need to... Does that sound racist? A little bit. To, I, I, I think there might be some Indian listeners to this that might be like, shh, give it away. <laughs> don't tell them what we do. Um, so I'd gone out from this catering job to watching people like Fern yeah. on telly. I was a really, you know, really big fan of. And then a few months later, I'm like working with them. I'm like in a studio. And there's like a camera pointed at me and I'm supposed to be good at this now. What's going on? Oh, welcome Hello. to Smile. I'm Dev. We've got lots coming up for you today on Smile. We've of course got Arthur. We've got... No one's supposed to know what I'm doing. Uh, my capacity very early on doing this show, Smile, on CBBC. The channel had not long launched. I think we were one of the launch shows. The channel had just launched. So nobody really knew about it that much. It was on. Uh, it was on a digital... It was, it was on digital and that was a still relatively new concept as well. So the idea of things like smart tellies and that, like nobody had a smart telly back then. You had either, you, you, might, you might have had Sky or some of you might have had Cable or something like that. I don't think free, maybe Freeview, just like the little box sets that you like people people buy or little boxes that you put. So CBBC as a channel was a bit obscure. I think they were on about... I think they peaked at about 70,000 people who were watching the show at that point. So we did the show for about six months and then it moved to BBC Two. So it moved to BBC Two and that overnight is going from 70,000 people to eight or nine million people that were that were watching at that time in the morning. At, at, when we got to our peak, 
yeah, maybe about eight or nine million people watching. So my memories from that were just being really overwhelmed. Uh, like we had guests on and stuff that I was just completely starstruck by. Remember when we had we had Emma Bunton come on one time, and I'm my first wank over a Spice Girls poster. We're very whether they they know it or not, mm. we are forever linked. Me and the Spice Girls, and I'll never forget Emma Bunton was on, and she was preparing for a performance. She was promoting like a solo single or something like that and she'd she'd come on and i was i was stood behind i used to have these turntables that i stood behind because i was the dj and i'll never forget she turned around to me and she was like so how you doing dev you're all right and you gotta think about that for a second somebody who you only know from seeing on telly and from you know fuck it, i'll say it from listening to their music and having your first wank over so all of a sudden they're turning around and they know your name and they're asking you how how you are. I, just, I remember it just completely threw me. Completely what did you say me. back? I can't remember. Some 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 dumb shit. I know some some dumb shit. Do you know who else like cracked onto me as well, or I think cracked onto me and I just completely ignored it. You know? Do you remember Zoe from EastEnders? I thought about uh, Michelle. Uh, oh, what was her name? Michelle something or other. I feel bad just calling her Zoe from EastEnders. It was Zoe... People are, like, yelling this at their, at their phones now, aren't they? Uh, Michelle Ryan! Michelle Sorry, Ryan. I didn't mean to shout <laughs> I didn't mean to shout Do you remember? Uh, yes, yes. She was actually... Um, she was a bit of a, like, you know... She's the guys did like her, didn't they? She's the reason I used to watch EastEnders, okay. man. She's the reason. Anyway, she came up to me at an award show, and I think she was trying to say something along the lines of... Oh, me and my little niece or my cousin or something like that. Like we watched the show, you know, we, we like it, we think it's funny. And I think I was just like, okay. <laughs> and then when she walked away, uh, my producer, uh, Billy, was there. He was going, what the fuck, man? Like, why, why, we, why didn't you talk to her? I was like, oh, what? what? It's like, she was trying to fucking talk to you, dude. Oh no! What do I do? Just so overwhelmed by Oliver. I was like, well, here's this girl who I know off the telly. Why the fuck did she want to come up and like speak to me? Uh, so there was there was a, a lot of that used to happen. I was so oblivious to. I think maybe part of me because I didn't want to believe that that I was a recognizable face, that I, I had all these millions of people and I was in all these people's homes. So that's the that's the that's the interesting thing about telly is that people are in in a way inviting you into their lives. And when somebody watches you or listens to you a lot, they feel like they know you. And that's the trade-off. Whether you like it or not, if you do something in the public eye and you're seen or heard regularly, people feel like they have a connection with you. And that was that was a trip for me to begin with and something that took me years to be able to deal with. And it was really difficult for me. Getting recognised that in public was always really weird. I remember, you know... There was one year I remember going back to a, a family barbecue, probably when I was about 20 or 21 years old. And this was after years of being really self-conscious. I remember there was a time I would walk around wearing my hat really low and stuff and like looking down at the floor. And I just completely rejected the idea that I would be a famous face or that, you know, I, just, I didn't want any of that. That to me was embarrassing. It was mortifying, like getting recognised in public or people like knowing. Um, so... I remember going to a family barbecue and what the best thing about my family is just, they're totally not fussed or phased about any of that stuff. They're incredibly proud of me. But 
they're not like in awe about any of that shit. They'll just be like, oh yeah, that's cool. We'll see you've done the interview with so and so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, do you remember when you shit yourself when you were twelve years? Like, you know, they're, they're, they're very good at just being my connection to the real world. Uh, I remember being at this family barbecue. My family barbecues are the best because everyone talking, everyone's talking, everyone's making noise and laughing. And I remember this one year I'd gone and one of my cousin's friends had asked me for an autograph at my family barbecue. And I, I really, that really got to me, you know, it really upset me. I know it shouldn't. I know it sounds like such a simple thing, but, you know, this is this, this is the uh, surely the one place I can go to escape all of that is, you know, to be around my family, to, to have somebody be like, oh, can we have your autograph kind of thing, really tore me out of that safe, that safe zone where I could just go and just be, just be cool. So I feel like, like I rejected that. I rejected the idea that I, I was supposed to be this clean cut children's TV presenter. I rejected that for so long to the point where I let my lifestyle directly contradict what I'm supposed to be on TV. I don't want to be a nice, clean-cut guy. That's not who I am in in my personal life, so why do I have to be like that on TV? You know, obviously because it's fucking children's TV, but I decided this is great and I love doing this, but all the stuff that comes with it doesn't really feel like something I'm comfortable with. So around about the same time I was feeling like that, I was asked to do pilots for One Extra and immediately after doing radio, doing a couple of radio shows, I was like, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. This is a medium I'm comfortable with. I can talk the way that I talk. I haven't got to worry too much about my reference points and this is, it's it's more personal than telly but I feel like I can walk outside now and no one's going to recognise me or that's the whole side of things that I... I didn't like but in that transition from because I, I did children's tv up until about 2021 and then I think just after that or maybe it happened at the same time I forget I made a very conscious decision I'm not going to do kids tv anymore I uh, uh, came up with an idea uh, uh, Reg had come up with this idea hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com weightloss weight loss. That's PlushCare.com weightloss weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss there for a sitcom and I sort of like given some ideas and stuff and we were able to do that it was a show called The Crust which was amazing it was a lot of fun to do uh, but I made a really conscious decision I don't think TV in that capacity is what I want to do it was an incredible opportunity to I would never have been on one extra if I had if they wouldn't have asked me to do a pilot for one extra if I didn't do smile but then I wouldn't have done smile if I hadn't gone to Anna Shear you know again these are just things that I see as I I, I don't think you can ever tell where you're going to end up but I definitely think you can put the necessary steps in motion to try and make something out of it so yeah that was a, that was a really weird time for me when you know during the day and for my like or my day job I had to be this very clean car and sort of likable person and I ended up I kind of resented myself a little bit for it I was like I feel like I'm lying I don't feel like I'm given an accurate representation of who I am so in my own personal life I feel like I went too far the other way and I compensated for it in other ways like think when I met you in my early 20s was probably like when I was at my worst for that so just really I wouldn't say out of control, but quite self-destructive. Wasn't doing myself any favours, you know? So things like going to gigs and there was no way I weren't going to try and get a groupie or something back to the hotel or a couple of them back to the hotel or something like that. There's no way I weren't going to try and do some of that. But what I realised quite quickly is I was just trying to plug a hole. And the, the, the negative part of that is I pushed away a lot of people who I was close with or who wanted to work with me. I pushed away a lot of people because they I made myself into a, I made myself into a fucking liability. Like I remember there's producers who I used to work with. They maybe now, maybe now, maybe I'll burn those bridges, but certainly during my early 20s, they wouldn't fucking touch me. So be like he's a, he's a liability. You know, I I remember once um I don't, I, I don't want to say I, I, I don't want to say who but I remember getting stopped with somebody in my car and I had weed in my car and the guy stopped me uh, it's like my early 20s and he said um, he's like what do you do for a living I went I'm a children's TV presenter for this one I was like 21 I'm a children's TV presenter I have somebody else in the car who is the most clean cut person ever and doesn't fuck with any of that shit right I could potentially ruin their career right now just through my own selfishness and the policeman says, what do you do? I said, I'm a children's TV presenter. So tell my colleague, no, I tried to lie first. I said, oh, I'm on the radio. He went, no, 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 no. Tell my colleague what else you do. I said, I'm a children's TV presenter. He went, what would they do if they found out that like, we stopped you with this? I said, I'd lose my job. And he went, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like call this in or anything like that. You know, we'll let you go. But you know, you're lucky today, right? It's like, yeah. And I could tell that person in that moment decided they can't hang out with me anymore. I'm a liability. And I was like that for a very, very long time. And it took me a while to realise I have to fucking calm this shit down because there's, you know, there's a point where you can get that out of your system and you can be young and you can be stupid, but that only lasts so long. And there needs to be a point where you turn around and go, actually, I'm a grown man. I make my own decisions. I can't blame shit on other people. But maybe I needed to go that far to realise. And I feel like now I get it. Just like, if I, I couldn't hang around with some like 20 year old who like blazes in their car and fucking you know, goes out and gets reckless at the week. I can't do that because 
the the kind of job that I do now, they'll jeopardize that. I can't get in. I can't get in trouble for stupid little, you know, stupid little shit like that. I I, I can't do that. So you can't realize it. You don't realize it at the time, but definitely in hindsight, I look back and I go, "Wow, those were those are really those were really dangerous times, but necessary times." I think, and I'm quite fortunate that nothing too negative came out of it, apart from what I mentioned, which is pushing away people who I know care about me but in the same in the same way saying that I know that they probably wanted different things for me than I wanted for myself mm-hmm. yeah what key events do you think helped you turn that corner mm. if you're having really positive influences there's um there's a guy who used to be he was like one of the founding people of one extra his name is ray paul and he used to be uh he used to look after the special ev- specialist events that one extra used to do he uh, uh the only person who's ever taken me to one side and been like what is it you want to do and i remember I, I remember i remember that like it was nothing i was probably only doing one show a week on one extra 12 till 2 on a saturday when Ray, who was looking after the specialist shows in the evening, had nothing to do with what I was doing, took me to one side and just said, no, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do more radio. I want to be on more days a week. I want this to be my job. A couple of weeks later, I was covering early breakfast. A couple of weeks after that, or maybe a little bit longer, I'd done, I'd covered every single show, daytime show on one extra. Six months later, I had my own show on one extra. Uh, 18 months after that I had a show on Radio 1 it's like this is this I directly attribute that uh, to Ray and from hanging from hanging out with somebody like Ray what he's really good at is getting me to think on a much bigger scale so I might in my mind go I say to him something like right I really want to do I really want to be on one extra five days a week he'd turn around to me and say something like why don't you aim for the Radio 1 breakfast show if that's your, if that's what you're aiming at, the like biggest show you could get, if you even fell a little bit short of that, it'd still be pretty impressive. So he was really good at getting me into that mindset of thinking bigger and thinking outside of my comfort zones. And he'd do things like on my show, he said, oh, I'm going to produce you this week. Okay, cool. And by the way, we're not using any beds. People who don't do radio, that's just a bit of music that you talk on, uh, you talk over. And you might think that's, that's a minor. But if that's what you do, if you only ever speak over a bit of music, you've got that rhythm to carry you. You can have these massive gaps in between saying shit. Like, for example, if I started talking like this, where I have all these massive gaps in between what I'm saying, you'll think you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But you have that music to carry you. Anyway, so he'd come in and say things like that and it really threw me. But... Once you've done that and you do it well, you get better. So I think meeting somebody like Ray, very, very key part of my career, turning me on to how I can make something that I enjoy into a job, into a full-on career. And also maybe value myself as well. If it may be up until that point, anyone who has self-destructive tendencies, I think doesn't fully value what they do. I don't feel like I have any kind of discernible skill. I always say if if there was a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, 
Right, where the fuck do I fit in? People, uh, carpenters, doctors, fucking engineers, those are the people who are going to have a place in that world. I'm not going to like pipe up like, does anyone need a radio show? Like, <laughs> it's not going to be needed. But, I, 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 I still think that, but I also, at the same time, I've, I've added value to what I do. I, I don't think just anyone could do what I do. Um, I do feel like there is some level of skill involved and experience as well. But maybe it's taken me longer than it would take the average person. I think someone could achieve what I have done <laughs> in a much shorter amount of time. But, you know, that's, that's, that's my journey. I just want to say Ray Paul, man. What a guy. Yeah. Like, if you get to meet and have yeah. a 30-second minute conversation with yeah. this gentleman, he can say some life-changing I just, stuff. sometimes, man, I, I really do think that people might never know just how... I'm, I'm not saying... This is no disrespect to uh, anyone at One Extra now, but how instrumental he was in bringing One Extra to prominence. And the reason being is because, and again, this is not a slight against anybody now, but he cares so much about the music and the people behind it and the people who have passion and are really trying to drive that passion on it. He cares so much about that, that at the core, that One Extra was always going to be destined for success because those are the people you have in the engine room, the people who just... And I feel like that passion is kind of carried on. You know, like there's there's no producer or presenter on One Extra right now that I could say to you, yeah, their heart's not really in it though. That it has to start with the passion. That's 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 where it comes from. Um, so yeah, he's someone who you know continues to that be a mentor and someone who's very influential uh, in my life. So yeah, that was when was that man? That's probably like yeah, twenty four, twenty five, or just before that. No, because I would have been on one extra for did one extra for seven years and Radio One for seven years as well. Oh, wow. I, I don't know if I have to keep saying that because it just makes me sound old, doesn't it? I mean, I, I know I am. In radio years, I am old, but yeah. Yeah, you started young. What sort of TV projects would uh, attract you now? So I don't know if I'm that interested in being in... Like, I don't think anyone's just going like, to call up my agent and go, hey, we'd love Dev to be the main part in this. I don't think... That's not really going to happen. Um, I want to write something that's funny but maybe, well, no, definitely quite dark as well. So something that would represent me, something, it was just stuff that I'd find funny. So something, yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking the other day, horror horror comedy, something like that, something along those lines, something that is really dark and quite scarring, but hilarious at the same time. Yeah. What have you seen that's like that? What can we, what can we use as a reference point? Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Greetings, Traveller. I'm Garth Marenghi, horror writer. Most of you will probably know me already from my extensive canon of chillers, including Afterbirth, in which a mutated placenta attacks Bristol. Yeah, really, really good. It's quite obscure and quite cult, but something like that, I just think, is, is, is perfect. It's really difficult to find, actually. I've looked for... Um, I've got, well, I've got a DVD, obviously, because I've, I've bought it a couple of times, actually. But I don't think it's the kind of thing you can just find online. Maybe like on Channel 4's website, you can go through their archives, you can watch back. Yeah. Uh, features um, uh, early performance from, do you know Richard Ayoade? Yes, yeah. yes. He's in that as well. Really, really funny. I think he wrote some of it as well. Um, something like Peep Show as well. Really dark. 
Like, have you seen episodes where Jez eats a dog, like barbecues a dog and eats it? I'm not, I've not seen that. But just, just to the, frame it up, is this is a show which is 100% POV. Yeah. So for those of you that have seen, let's see, Hardcore Henry this year. Oh, the yeah. Film, I've not seen that. Is it any good? Um, I love it. It looks Vis- like it made me feel a bit sick. It made me a feel a bit dizzy. Yeah. But basically, this this show, Peep Show, was it it finished recently actually mm. last season was all POV. Just so yeah, go on, Dev. Mm. So I don't know. Just it has to be, it has to be dark. Wherever I write, it has to be something that's like a bit dark and a little bit twisted, but but also funny. Uh, what else can I think of? Nighty Night. Have you seen that? Oh, I forget the woman who wrote that. She's hilarious. That was uh, what's that? What's that about? So it's about uh, <laughs> it's about a woman who fakes her husband having cancer to get sympathy, but also to uh, what's the woman's name? Julia Davis. That is, she's amazing. Uh, she, I forget. It's been so long since I've seen it. But I mean, she's like fakes that her husband's got cancer, or she keeps telling him that he's sick, and uh, she really fancies this doctor. And tries to phase out the doctor's wife and plays a lot of mind tricks on all these people to make them think that they're all crazy when in reality it's this main character. But it's just the performances in that are so good and it's so dark. All of the humour in it is really, really dark. I just, I'd much prefer to do something like that and it becomes cult. Because you'd say to a lot of people, did you watch 99? And they'll go, no. But a lot of the people who have seen it you know it's got I'd rather have a sort of cult following rather than it to be you know massively popular what other shows can I think of like that do you remember Monkey Dust no Monkey Dust is a really good animated series Um, something that's probably a little bit more popular League of Gentlemen I thought was genius again quite scary very unsettling but hilarious something like that I'd I'd, I'd like to write wicked wicked and um You've dropped a lot of advice for up-and-coming broadcasters, Dev, but, you know, just in case you are a broadcaster or you're in radio and entertainment... Yeah, go for it. There's one piece of advice you'd like to give to a a broadcaster, like what not to eat in front of a microphone. Yeah, don't bring popcorn to a recording session. Uh, What was your question? Uh, Just a little bit of advice, um, because if you're a listener and you're thinking, well, you know what, I'd like to get into radio, I'd like to get into entertainment, what would you say? A key bit of advice is I've been working on um, I want to do mentoring I want to mentor like young kids black kids especially because I feel like I need a, a little kick up the ass. and here's what I want to say this is this is like to very young aspiring presenters or just like young young people <laughs> in general Here's what I want to say to them. You're not a special fucking snowflake, right? You're not a special, unique person that the world needs to know about. You're not. Not right now, you're not. Everyone has the potential to be, certainly. But right now, you're not. You're starting at ground zero. There is nothing. Nobody owes you anything. You're not due anything. Just because you listen to so-and-so or you've done whatever course, right? That's not, that's not a guarantee of anything. Well, I think if you want to, if you want to do this, I think you're going to have to be, you're going to prepare yourself to work a lot for a little. You have to work for a very, very long time and get nothing and get no recognition 
and have to work double hard as everybody else and be broke. And then even then it might not work out. So the only thing that's going to drive you through all of that is by having passion and actually caring about this. If you're, if you just want to be famous and you just want to like hang out with other celebrities, then go be on Geordie Shore or, you know, flipping, go on uh, Big Brother or go on X Factor and make a dick of yourself in the audition so that everybody remembers you or something like that. Go and do something like that. But if this is what you want to do as a career and you're serious about it, then study it and become an expert in it. Just like, don't assume, I, I, like what I mentioned before, this is not, I don't feel like this is any discernible skill or anything like that. But for example, you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want to be a singer and you've never taken any singer lessons or you've never listened to any music and studied how songs are written and how they're performed. You wouldn't want to be a Formula One driver and you haven't got this like love of going fast or driving cars. Don't assume because it's something you enjoy that it's going to be easy. It's not, that's going to make it easier, but you still have to study it and work at it like your life depends on it more now than ever before, I think, because it's so saturated. It's people's attentions are everywhere. You're going to have to be more different than the next person trying to do it. But I would just say for those first, write this off in your mind, write off five years in your mind. If this is what you want to do, if you want to do presenting, write off five years. And what I mean by that is don't expect to get paid. Don't expect to get any decent work. Uh, expect to be broke all the time and constantly hustling for this job and that job but if it does happen you'll be vindicated because you've done it for the right reasons again if you want to be famous there's fast tracks to that there's easier quicker ways then you can do that go and do that but if you are serious about it treat it serious yeah i think that's what to say about it then you can be a special snowflake afterwards (laughs) i love it bruv um also, one more thing um, for our brother podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called um, How to Kill an Hour. It's yeah. a podcast I've that we do that. where we like to kill a little bit of time. Um, You're still getting loads of free shit for doing that. Yeah, how was that? How shit. was that thing that game? I haven't used I it. Yet. I've not used mine yet either, either. But we'll use it. Um, yeah, we always like to ask people on uh, on this how they like to kill a little bit of time. And how do you like to do that, Dev? Uh, how do I kill my time? Almost always unproductively. Productive-wise, I make music. Uh, it's kind of... It's it's just something I really enjoy doing. I don't feel like it's going to... I don't want to say it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, I hope it does. But it's just something I really enjoy doing. So I went and studied music, so I'd know how to do it a little bit better. I uh, got myself a little studio space so I can come and make noise whatever time of the night. But, uh, yeah, I, I try and get in here as much as possible. If I'm not working or sat at home playing some stupid fucking game, then I'll, chances are I'll be here at the studio. Yeah. What And what sort of music are you making? And is it under the name Dev? No. So I produce under the name Joseph Jordan, which is just my middle names. And the reason I decided to do that is because I thought if I brought out music as Dev from Radio 1, or I just don't know if it would work. I, 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 yeah, and I feel like a lot of people might not even give a shit, 
But for me, it was just quite important that if people like my music, then they like it because... I just want to be, if they're going to like my music, then they like it just because of what it is. And I like the idea of creating an alter ego and having a bit of fun with that. Like I don't show my face or anything. It's just, yeah, it, it felt so separate to what I normally do, which is talk about myself on the radio. It felt so separate from that world that I thought I might as well give it a different name. And what's the sound like? Uh, it's just like housey stuff. The mission statement is for, for, for a start, I just want people to lose their shit. That's all I want people to do. Is just, I just want people to dance and lose their shit. But the other thing is, I studied music for like five or six years. Uh, I came out the other side of it. You know, I'd learned about jazz and blues and rock and stuff. And I love all those genres. But when it came to making my own music, I just decided, you know what? I just want to make the kind of tunes that when I was 15 and I used to go to a record shop, I used to ask for some new bits and I put the stack of vinyl next to the deck and I'd just be going through tunes. And be like, yeah, that one's all right, that one's all right. And there'd be that one tune we you're like, oh my fucking God, what is this? It doesn't matter who produced it or that you'd never heard of the, you'd never heard it before. It's just something about it. It's this fucking bouncy bass line or whatever. That's what I'm trying to recreate. I want tunes that the 15-year-old me would approve of, would go, yeah, yeah, that's a banger. Sick, That's sick. what I want to do. And, um, yeah, you spoke about your gaming as well. You you are... You glazed over that, Dev. You're a deep... You're a serious gamer. I really do go deep, man. I, d- I don't know what it is. Um, uh, the last time it got me really badly was the last Fallout. Fallout 4, the right. last one they brought out. I, I loved... Three and I love New Vegas so much. It's this open world post-apocalyptic game where you collect shit, you build shit, you have these real big decisions that you make that affects how the rest of the game goes, or if someone survives or if they die. It's these huge moral conundrums that you get yourself into. It's so immersive, and they brought out Fallout Four, which I've been waiting, I've been waiting on for ages. When it first came out, and I downloaded it. I played it for 19 hours without getting up. I mean, obviously, to go for a piss or whatever. I played that game for 19 hours non-stop. And there were times during my week when, you know, I was like, okay, if I get up and I go to work and I leave at this time, then I can get home and I can play it for this long before i got to go back to bed again. Not even before i got to go and go out or have a life or whatever, just until I go back to sleep again. So it, it gets me so deep. And I was looking at it, uh, I, I, was, I was looking at my profile on it a couple of weeks ago. And when you go to load up your game, it tells you how long you've been playing the game for. And the my current profile, playtime, says nine days. Think about that for a second. Think of nine days. Nine full days of being sat in the same spot staring at the screen and um, don't get me wrong within the universe of my fallout profile i've changed the entire landscape of the commonwealth i've leveled up and acquired weapons that nobody will be able to touch me i'm one of the most famous and formidable fit figures in that universe in real life i've done nothing i've done nothing i've achieved nothing so that thought I remember uh, at the end of quite a lengthy session, just sat sat there thinking about if I'd have spent that same amount of time doing something productive, writing or making music, how much I would have achieved. And I remember sat there and I remember thinking, bottle this feeling and remember how this feels. And the next time you go to spend 
even longer than three hours playing a game just remember how shit you felt at the end of that that you'd achieved nothing you've done nothing with your life have you picked it up since i haven't that? actually and they just brought out a new dlc they've got they got a fallout shelter dlc where you can build your own uh bunker mm. but I've, I've swerved it man i've swerved it do you know what it is with it it's that game the narrative is so magnetic mm. it's like you want to put it down and then someone will say something like good job um, and then you're like ready to go off to the other side of the map and they go Dave over there would really like to speak to somebody with skills like that and mm. you go oh shit man fuck and you go or, talk to someone else or you just go to I don't know in, in, in that game you can do things like you can build your own base and stuff and you're like oh I'll just like, like try something out blah, 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 blah. three hours gone yeah three hours gone and I don't know I think I don't feel old I just don't feel young and so I have to be a lot like I've been saying this to myself you can afford to play computer games at length when you're on a tour bus or you're in first class on the way to a meeting with some production company in LA or that's that's when you can play computer games at length or you're sat in your fucking mansion overlooking like the London skyline or some shit whatever that's when you can play computer games at length right now you ain't got fucking time for it man you got shit to do I should just clip that and that's going to be my alarm. <laughs> that's going to be my alarm when I wake up in the morning. Um, you dropped some serious knowledge on us today, man. I feel like I know you a bit more. I've known you for a few years, man, but I feel like I actually genuinely have heard some shit that I'm like, oh, seen. It's weird, isn't it? Death. How much we talk, but we don't talk. Yeah. We like shoot the shit or whatever. But I'm, I'm the worst at it. Like, as If you're one of my friends, you can't come to me with one of your problems. I just, I'll listen, but I hope you're not expecting any advice. I am, this is the worst shoulder to cry on. Because the only way I know how to deal with shit, I'm just like, all right, cool, that sounds shit, but what are we going to do about it? Come on, yeah. let's fucking, what are we going to do? We're going to work on something, what are we going to do? I can't, I can't yeah. waste energy on. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, we just, um, people don't talk like this much, you know? Everyone's no. like, how, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, I'm fine, I'm fine, like kind of like Ross from Friends I'm fine but like mm. but yeah no I appreciate your time brother and, and obviously we should we should make this a regular thing just chatting on or off mics bruv yeah I think Actually, so do you know what I mean definitely bruv and obviously you've got some other projects that you've got in the pipeline mm. so, do you want to talk about that now or do you want to- uh, well I'll just I'll just give a quick plug to uh, my podcast which I'm recording at the moment it's going to be called uh, something along the lines of I'm either going to do you think I'll get in trouble if I call it Dev Talks do you reckon TED Talks have a go at me? No, not That's so. what's quite funny because my podcast is going to be the opposite of what a TED Talk is. Standard. Uh, so too. I just recorded one today with Trevor Nelson. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to do it like Netflix. I'm going to record a series, a batch of six. I'm just going to stick them all up at the same time. But uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'll be making an announcement about when it goes up. I am dev underscore 101 on Twitter. Uh, I usually not that active on Twitter or whatever. I, I can be with answering questions or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to make an announcement about when that podcast is going to be up. It's going to be great. And also, tweet Dev Cordwell Denim. Let him know which you think is better. <laughs> Just t- tweet the word. Just keep tweeting it to him. All right, bro. Thank you very much, man. And um, obviously on Radio 1 as well. Weekends. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'll do the weekend breakfast show on BBC Radio 1, Saturday and Sunday between 6 and 10 a.m. So that was it. Part two of two of uh, Dev meeting Marcus or Marcus meeting Dev make sure you check out his podcast it's going to be amazing he's got great guests lined up already and also his Radio 1 show is I think only only Dev 
can do a show like that he's um he's way more than entertaining but anyway that was that episode uh and this show is produced and hosted by me marcus bronzy thank you to the co-producers billy wright shane powell david shawcross special thanks to milo fisher wide awake aka cj beats and jordan crisp for the amazing intro and outro music you can listen to marcus meets via itunes podcasts for apple devices or acast which works on every single phone that i know of if you're unsure of what will work with your phone please head to marcusbronzycom slash me to listen any way you desire we would really love your feedback in the form of a rating and or review and you can do that by going to marcusbronzy.com slash review this show is made for you so basically we want to use your feedback to make it better and better and if you really love us you can become a patron of marcus meets and get access to bonus content and early episodes exclusive merchandise and also have input on what goes into actual episodes you can donate as little or as much as you want say the cost of a snickers bar uh, by going to marcusbronzy.com slash thanks that's marcusbronzy.com slash thanks hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.